How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Looking forward to sharing God's word with you this morning. I invite you to find the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And we have been going through the Gospel of John. I'm excited for where we are in the text this week. And um, I'm just going to dive right in. I'm going to pray. I'll read the text and we'll explore it from there. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask uh, that you would be with us in this time of exploring your word. We thank you for your sweet presence here in all that we have done as we've worshipped you. God, I pray that you would cultivate that. Would you stir in our hearts so that we might have a devotion uh, to you, a uh, focus on you. God, we we. Let everything, all the things that are distracting us, may you just uh, leave them to the side so that we can pay attention to what you would have us pay attention to this morning. We pray your blessing over this word. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, John chapter 12, first 11 verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. So let's just let's stop there for one sec. I really want you to visualize this. If you've been tracking with the series we've been in, you can see there's something really special and vivid happening in that section, and we could just bypass it because there's something else that's going to happen. But imagine what it would be like to be sitting with somebody who's just been raised from the dead, right? And we, we had this miracle that Jesus did, then we had a scene last week about the implications on the darker side of that for the Pharisees and what it meant to them, the threat that it meant that Lazarus was raised from the dead, but now we see what this looks like in the light, right? This meal that these siblings are sharing together with their brother who's been raised from the dead. What a vivid, beautiful picture that we have. This meal, this is like a heavenly picture of what it looks like to live in light of resurrection, okay? It says this in verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to keep himself to what was put into it. He, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save the perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. 
Meanwhile, a crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So as we think about this picture of what it looks like to be in light of the resurrection, I also want to just suggest that if you were here last week, one of the things that we talked about was that uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who had gathered at the Sanhedrin, they were plotting to kill Jesus. And the justifications, the reasons they were giving for why they should kill Jesus were actually gospel truths. They were saying that we should kill Jesus because he is going to save everyone, right? And they were worried that the uh, Romans would come and they would conquer their people if uh, Jesus was able to minister. And that's actually exactly what happened, even though they executed on their plan. And there was this unconscious motivation. You know, they thought they were protecting the uh, religious establishment, the places of worship, the things that they were Uh, given responsibility over, but in fact, they were missing the very thing that they were supposed to see the most. And so they had this fear underneath them, this fear of threat that was really guiding their actions and creating self-fulfilling negative prophecies. It's really fascinating to me how you could, uh, if you're in the darkness, it says in scripture, how great is that darkness? Even though you don't know exactly why you're doing what you're doing, the consequences of your behavior can be pretty severe and significant on the negative side, right? And then if maybe this is like the flip side of that, because we're going to see now that there are some things that are happening in this story that are so in the light. They're so beautiful. And the dramatic implications of what it means to be in that kind of light and the escalating light that can come from acts of devotion and worship even more significant than the people who are doing them even realize what they are doing okay and that's where i'm trying to pick up on this story i think we have a picture just just to help you visualize too this is an artist's rendition of mary's act of worship at the feet of jesus that's the title of the sermon really i just want to talk about two places where jesus is Uh, where Mary is at the feet of Jesus. This image may conjure up a lot of things in us, but I actually want to remind us that this image could conjure up the image of a leader, of a servant leader. Now, this is an act of total devotion and worship, so how would we say this is an act of leadership? Well, let me read to you Jesus' teaching about what great leadership looks like. Matthew 32, 11 says this, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. This is a humble act of service. And it is a place where we just heard in the Psalms where because Mary was able 
to get to this place that she was elevated. In her servanthood, she was elevated. And she was able to do something for Jesus that nobody else was able to do. This is what I want to suggest is what in the New Testament they picked up on as the way of Jesus. When in Acts it says that there are followers of the way of Jesus, this is what they were talking about. This was really introduced in a significant way liturgically into the New Testament church, and we find it in the book of Philippians in this way. It says this, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, this way of Jesus, that Jesus made himself nothing, is something that the New Testament church gathered around and reminded themselves of over and over and over and over again because they wanted to go the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus looked very differently than the way of their world. And so they needed that constant reminder that what looks like humble service is the beginning of this amazing way that produces something that was unexpected for those who first encountered it, but it was so exciting for them. How was Mary able to do this? How was she the one who was able to see something that nobody else saw? I want to suggest that part of why she gets to play this role is uh, introduced to us in an earlier scene in the gospel where she's again at Jesus' feet. Maybe you know it. Maybe we, I think we have a picture of this as well. Do you remember the first time that Jesus says that Mary's doing the right thing is when she's sitting and she's listening to Jesus. She's paying attention to Jesus. She's receiving the grace of Jesus at Jesus' feet. If we want to talk about servanthood, and we want to talk about the right actions, first, we need to understand our belovedness at the feet of Jesus. We can get really busy. Mary Oliver, the poet, writes this, you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. That there's a way we can be motivated to do the things of religious activity from the wrong place, a place of earning, a place of guilt. But 
what Mary discovered there at the feet of Jesus is her belovedness. And it is out of that belovedness, out of that beloved identity, that she is motivated to get that low. To be there down at the feet of Jesus. And the beautiful thing about Jesus we just read, but we know because where he's headed is the same place. That he didn't just teach the disciples to be great by serving. He also, in the upper room, got down on his knees with a towel. And he washed his disciples' feet. And he embodied this servant leadership. He showed them what it looked like to be a leader was to get low, just like Mary got low. She led the way. She showed, because she was a good listener, what the implications of Jesus' teaching could do. And this did truly elevate her, right? Because we learn in the story that Jesus is saying that what she's doing in the story is preparing Jesus for his burial. This is an act of anointing. This, this uh, scene is described in all the gospel stories. There's a lot of commentary on all the different ways it's described. But one thing that's really agreed upon is that this is a moment of Jesus' anointing. This is a preparation for Holy Week, his journey to the cross. And so Mary in her humble service at the feet of Jesus, goes and gets the most expensive thing in her house that she has saved for this very moment of total worship and devotion, and she anoints Jesus with it. And in so doing, she's doing something that's normally reserved for only the prophets and the priests of Israel, for only the most holy and high and exalted positions within the religious community. And here is Mary in this moment because she is acknowledging in this moment that Jesus is Messiah. This prophecy that has been going on for her people for a long time, she's able to see it and she knows what to do because she paid such close attention. And she's seen Jesus in both word and action be who the Messiah is meant to be, and so she has this great moment of acknowledgement. And then she also serves as priest, as the priest was the one who would take the king and anoint the king's head with oil, and that would be his coronation, the thing that declared to everyone in the sight of God and all the people that this was truly the one with the authority, with the power, the one that we all submit to. And so Mary has the privilege out of her service, out of her humble service, to be the one to do this gracious, loving act for Jesus. She's able to encourage Jesus. Another Presbyterian pastor once said this, if you seek power before service, you'll neither get power nor serve. But if you seek to serve people more than gain power, you will not only serve people, you will gain influence. And that is very much what Jesus did. You see, at the end of the day, if we want to boil this down, 
one of the things we might say is that each and every one of us, each and every one of you is a leader because you have influence. You have the ability to change things in your world. And so, how do you hold that influence? What is the way in which you deal with the power that God has given you? Are you willing to go the way that is articulated in Scripture, this pattern that first begins right with Jesus at his baptism when he submits to John and the dove of the Holy Spirit descends as Jesus descends into the waters and then God, the word of God goes forth, this is my beloved Right before he does any ministry, this belovedness is declared over Jesus. And then he goes from there to serve the people. Right? And then at times, as he's in the heat of ministry and he's being poured out, then what does he do? He goes away to a quiet place in order to again be filled up and to receive the belovedness of his father so that then he can go again and pour it out. This is somehow what Mary was picking up on. Like the Holy Spirit was firing in this community at this moment, this vivid picture, and so she's able to do this thing, this, this fragrant offering, this amazing offering that one commentator reminds us of this, that Jesus would have gone to the cross with this aromic fragrance still on him. The smell would have lingered with his sweat and blood and was perhaps a comfort to him in his hour of deepest distress, reminding him of the loving devotion of one of his disciples. It was a proclamation to all the actors and bystanders as he moved up Golgotha's hill and was crucified that he is indeed the anointed one of God. This fragrance lingered and encouraged Jesus every step of the way. And every time he was accused, every time that he was ridiculed, this sweet fragrance of this recognition was still in the air to remind him of who he truly was. What a gift. A gift of worship. What a privilege it is to give our worship to Jesus. We see that in four different qualities of worship that I'll end with. The first one is admiration. As we said, Jesus, I mean, Mary hung on Jesus every word. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says this, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you want to worship, may you give honor to Jesus, the giver of light, the one who displays the glory of God through his very face, through the face of God as the forward-facing reality of who God is in the world. That's who Jesus is. 
And so we just admire the beauty of that. And we give it honor. Another quality of worship is wonder, right? I mean, the wonder is all over the place, I'm sure, in this story, as they're eating with a dead guy who's now alive, right? Like, that's just got to be so much awe to the whole thing. And think about this. If you've had a hard life and your people have been kicked again and again and again, and all of a sudden you're with a guy who can raise people from the dead, how does that change how you look at life? What is there to fear? There must be so much hope all over the place for what could happen. So much wonder about the implications of this resurrection of Lazarus and what it would mean for the people and for their life going forward, for what it means about the reality of life and what's possible. Just filled with wonder. They don't have the answer. They're just filled with awe and wonder. And then you can move and see in this a place of true adoration, right? Like what happened with, at Jesus' birth with the Magi is they came to bring their gifts and just adore Jesus with their gifts. This is what's happening in the story again at the end of Jesus' life. The greatest gift that Mary could conjure up, she just gives it to him. No questions asked because it's out of a place of total recognition of who Jesus is. Like you can never outgive God, right? Once she realized that God has given everything in Jesus, then the pure nard is really not that big of a deal. She knows where she's going. And so she can give all that she has in worship. And yes, to some, that will look ridiculous. And Jesus says, it's the right acknowledgement of who I am. It's okay. Maybe the worship looks ridiculous to some people. Maybe the things that you've given in your life don't make sense to some people in your life. It's okay. Because Jesus is worthy of our admiration and our honor and our worship and our adoration. In John 4, 23, it says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. May that be true in us today. Would you pray? Lord Jesus, help us to look full into your wonderful face. And as we do, may we see the glory of God. Lord, you are high and lifted up, worthy of all of our praise and devotion. Lord, we don't know all of the things that you have done, all of the great things that you have done, but we have all gotten a glimpse of your goodness. And it is enough to lead us into worship. I pray that we would just stand for a moment in acknowledgement of who you are. We thank you for Mary's example, Lord, that brought her to your feet to anoint you and to prepare you for the cross. May it be an example to us of how we might worship you. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus.
Amen.